For this episode of The Mastering Mindset, I decided to title this Leading Change, and I got an opportunity to dive into the mindset of Alan Mask. Alan first started his career at Goldman Sachs and then later transitioned to Google as the marketing manager there. And uh, at Google, he, he built products, he built teams, and and a lot of what we see uh, on commercials and, and advertising is from the hands of Alan's work. And then he got recruited to work for Airbnb as a global product marketing lead. And for the past three years, he joined Sonos, served first as the vice president of marketing, and then later the, uh, became the chief of staff. And Alan, as, as you'll hear in this conversation, is really about building people and building products and teams. And he's a builder. Um, and he really has an interesting approach of how he deals with change and transition in life. Now, Alan is uh, going through a major transition in his life, and it all seems to be happening at once. Uh, professionally, he has left Sonos and, and is joining a financial firm called uh, Collab in San Francisco and New York. Um, and he is going to be a brand new father. He and his wife, Carly, uh, are expecting their son anytime soon. So uh, there's a lot of change going on in Alan's life. And, and I really wanted to unpack how an executive and a leader like Alan handles and navigates change. Um, right now, there's so much change happening all around us. And I was really curious how somebody navigated change so well from, you know, going from Goldman Sachs to Google to Airbnb to Sonos and now embarking on a new change. So Alan shares a lot of golden nuggets with me and with all of us on how he deals with change. And to sum it all up, he anchors to a missional focus. So he anchors to his faith, which navigates everything for him. And he's able to chunk things up, uh, big projects, big change, into bite-sized small victories. And he celebrates those small victories. And then lastly, he is he welcomes change and he welcomes these transitions in his life as an opportunity for him to exercise his muscle of faith. So his perspective is quite interesting, and I can't wait to share Alan Mask with you all. So... Here is Alan Mask with uh, Leading Change at The Mastering Mindset. Uh, Alan, first of all, thank you. you uh, you're such an inspiration to me. It, just thinking about the, the changes that are going in your own personal life, your professional life, and you and Carly are, are venturing into a new chapter, um, a new beginning. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, what I wanted to do, I've been doing these series. It started with the pandemic. It was started with how to help people and serve people in terms of highlighting things that people I look up to, people that I admire, and how they are dealing with the different struggles of life and how to navigate those times. And And I thought of you and I reached out to you and, and Carly and I was thinking about all the different significant shifts and changes that that occurred in your life and how you navigated those times. So it's just a, a casual conversation, an open okay. dialogue. Uh, but I just wanted to first invite you. Um, how you know what are some of the the big changes happening, and how do you prepare for those changes happening in your life currently? Yeah, and do you mean like on a personal level or a professional level or or both? Uh, let's do both. But let's start yeah. wherever wherever you want to start. I mean, there's a lot that's changing right now all at once. And it can be, while change can sometimes be hard, I'm one of those people that that think that thinks change is an opportunity for renewal. Yeah. Um, but one thing that can make it a little challenging is when there's so much change happening at once from so many different directions, it can be difficult to understand how each change is serving you or how you should walk through each change. And so right now we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like, And not only in the middle of a pandemic, we're in the middle of a weird kind of shifting lockdown, right? Because like we came out of hardcore quarantine, but we're still kind of in, but you know, we're getting out and about a little bit more and we're being safe using masks and social distancing because we need to for our work. But 
at the same time, we're not really doing much at all. And so that's, yeah. a, that's definitely tough trying to figure out how to respond to the environment from like a health perspective. It's, you know, you add another challenge with the fact that my wife Carly is pregnant. I think she's 28 weeks this week. And yeah. so um, she's coming along. And so she's trying to figure out, okay, cool. What does it look like for her to walk into motherhood? Not just, you know, as a mother of a child, but also as the CEO of a business. And so she runs a really successful business here, you know, in Santa Barbara. She's got global business. She's got local business as well. And she's trying to think through, hey, what does it look like for me to actually step out of the driver's seat for a bit? You know, and and her business was hit a little bit by the pandemic, but now it's starting to come back and she's in the middle of hiring some great folks. And so helping coach her through that. Um, I just left Sonos, the company that I was at for about three and a half years, and I'm jumping into a new professional venture. And so, you know, that's a really beautiful and exciting thing, but has its own, you know, complications and challenges on top of being in a situation where I'm walking into a job for the first time where I'm working remotely, because I'm actually going to be doing my two new jobs from Santa Barbara instead of up in San Francisco, New York, which is where my new teams are based. And so that's just a small smattering of there's just so much that's coming in. I mean, even as a musician and as an artist, I'm thinking through what does it look like to produce music, to collaborate in a pandemic? What's it going to look like to be able to save time as an artist, you know, when I'm a father? Yeah. And so I'm in, in a, I'm, you know, under siege, you know, okay. in, in, in a way, in, in so many ways by change. But I remain incredibly hopeful about it because of it. And um, it's already starting to, to bear really positive, maturing fruit in my life. And so yeah. I'm grateful for that. So, Alan, let's unpack that a little bit. When somebody's under siege with all the different changes coming uh, at once, how do you even begin to start tackling it or start embracing it? Like, how? what's your mental process of it's, everything's happening at once? Your personal life is about to shift significantly. Carly's life is shifting. Uh, you're in this middle of a, a change um, professionally. Where do you even start with processing and being hopeful? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think you, you know, you know, my heart and you know, my faith, Matt Park, you know, I'm one of those, as I sometimes say, woo-woo Christian people in the sense that I am passionately in, in a quest to build my life on the foundation of the Christian church, on the foundation of Jesus Christ as, you know, my Lord and Savior. And so for me, when I'm in the season of walking through a lot of change, the first thing I look for is my anchor in the waves. The first thing I look for is that which makes me whole instead of that which will lead me to think of myself as the sum of the parts or as a sum of a number of different changes. And so for me, the first thing I do when I anticipate any sort of change, big or small, especially change of this scale, I have to get to a quiet place. I have to make myself small and I have to attach myself to God. Because the one thing that I've learned and the one thing that I've known by going through this so many times is that if you don't know what your North Star is and you don't know where you're going, and for, for me, that's my faith. For some people, that's a totally different thing. This could look very different for every single person. I think this can apply generally as a, as a leadership principle. I think you have to find that which is going to keep you calm, that which is going to keep you anchored, that which is going to remind you that you will come out of the other side alive. And you have to get to that place first, almost like imagining the victory first. And this is something that even you taught me about, even from, you know, giving me shreds of your wisdom from the days where you were coaching professional golfers when you were playing professional golf. And so that's one thing that I always try to do is I start by getting to a place where I can anchor or hold on to that, which is going to keep me steady, balanced and solid throughout the season of change. And the second thing that I do is I try to understand those changes and break them down into as small as digestible pieces as possible, because I find that when I'm able to take a big gnarly problem that I can't even see in its entirety and break it down into pieces that I know like the back of my hand, even if not every single piece can be broken into an atomic unit that I'm not comfortable with, I'm able to give myself some confidence, some momentum. I'm able to harvest small victories, which remind me again that I will get through to the other side. And so philosophically and spiritually, I find that anger. And then tactically and technically, I break down the problem into as many pieces as possible. And then at that point, I have two-thirds full confidence. And the rest is just about shrinking that problem and drying it up as much as I can. And so that's a, it's something, you know, I, I apply it to problems generally. And, of course, not every situation is like that. But if I had to give you a framework for how I try to think about it, that's what my approach would be. So. I love listening to you, Alan. It's like I'm, I'm listening to poetry every time I talk. You know, <laughs> you're listening I, to a bunch of mixed metaphors, oh, and bad I, analogies. That's what it is. I, I love it because it's. Um, let let me. So I'm going to try to process what you just said, uh, just to kind of take in and soak in for myself. Um, the first, uh, as you know, I'm a believer as well, and uh, the first is 
He said, it's a process of getting small and anchoring to God, right? Anchoring to Jesus Christ and, mm-hmm. and getting quiet. And um, it's almost like this reflective process of there's storms heading your way. There's storms all around you. How do you get yourself small and how do you, you anchor into uh, your truth? And, yeah. and, um, and that, I mean, it's, it's not easy to do. I mean, that, that I don't want to take that lightly because getting, especially with all the success that you've, you've, you know, been blessed with and you and Carly are um, just helping a lot of people through your gifts and your talents and, and even as a musician, and it's, it's so easy to get caught up with the different expectations of the world. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to get lost with the storms and being intermixed with it. So for you, the first step is to quiet the soul, quiet the heart, quiet the mind, and really seek your truth and anchor. And, and that process, um, it's, it, it's not easy. And, and you do it so I mean, you you strive to do it so well, and I'm I'm curious. First, how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you get yourself to a place of of remaining small, remaining humble, and that process of just anchoring? Like, you have to. You said you have to do. You have to anchor to God. But how do you do that in the midst of all the stress, the fears, the expectations, the success, uh, the pride that sometimes might come? How, how do you remind yourself to anchor? First yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I think a couple of different things in, in, in no particular order. I mean, I think the first piece is just draw on my own experience. Draw on experiences when I've been faced with a challenge that I didn't know how to navigate and having survived, survived through it to get to the other side. I think another piece of, of experience spiritually is just remembering that like God is with me and hasn't abandoned me. You know, never has, never will. And so of all the different times, you know, God, there's a pastor, Mike Todd, who I follow a lot. He's got this one amazing sermon where he talks about of all the times God could have abandoned us. Why would he do it now? There were infinitely more convenient and easier things he could step. He could have stepped away from us on, but he just hasn't. And so one piece for me is just drawing on my experience, knowing that when these storms come, you know, they too pass. And the ways that I've gotten through them in the past. Lord willing, will get me through them going forward. And so I think I have to just draw on my experience and remember what it feels like to be faced with something I didn't think I was survived and come out victorious. And I think I have to be reminded, most importantly, of the fact that God is here. He is moving. I think one of the analogies that I try to pray into for my life is just this concept that um, I've heard. You know, I'm not a big art his- historian. I'm not educated that much in that world. But I've heard that a lot of times when sculptors were, were building statues or building sculpture, oftentimes they used to describe it or think about it as just letting the man out of the granite or letting the man out of the marble. And so when I'm navigating storms and trying to go through, figure out how to get through a new challenging situation, I just borrow from that analogy and think about God having me be this piece of marble that he's chiseling me out of. And not because he's making things go away, but because he's letting me out of the rock. Mm. And so I think for me, again, just remembering that I've gotten through these things before, um, and that God has moved in these situations before. It's like I was having a conversation with Carl the other day, and sometimes I get in my head, like maybe this is a little too ethereal, a little too philosophical, but I was talking to her about how I feel like so much of how I perceive or how I think about the meaning of life is just finding a way to get closer and closer and closer to God until I'm with Him eternally. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think a big part of that is looking back and seeing how He moved in our life when we had a miscarriage, how He moved in our life when we were in a really big legal battle over a home. Or how he moved in my life when I've lost my job before, or you know when we've had economic hardship before, or when we've fallen ill or into sickness, and I think through it, I'm like, man, so many of those situations that God has walked me through, they didn't serve no purpose. It wasn't just about making sure that I got through that situation. It was about being reminded that God is faithful and He comes into all these situations, and that I, as an idea, am in process from beginning to end, slowly but surely finding my way closer to Him. And so, again, I try to realize, too, that a lot of these challenges and a lot of these changes that we go through are here to serve a purpose and to making sure that we're chiseled um, and that we are we strengthen our inner man to use, you know, an ism from the Apostle Paul. Um, yeah. It's just a part of that process. And it's something that we have to embrace, something that we have to appreciate, because ultimately to get a chance to feel and see God using you to get a chance to quiet everything around you to the point where you can hear him at the whisper he always uses I mean, it's a chance to practice and it's a chance to solidify your truth, whatever you believe. And so 
um, that for me is, is, you know, my faith as you know. And so I try to keep that front and center at, at all times. You know what I love about what you were saying, Alan, um, everything is an opportunity, uh, these, these challenging times, and I'm hearing the language, your mindset of approaching these challenging times as an opportunity and you use the word, a chance, like, uh, God presents us with different challenges in our lives. And it's a chance for us to exercise our faith. It's a chance for us to quiet down in those, the midst of the storm and that perspective of just looking at the hardships of life as an opportunity to exercise uh, the the muscles that God requires us to do in this life is is a beautiful analogy of of just how you move through um, change, how you move through life. And, and I try, man. I mean, and I'll say like, you know, I get this wrong more than I more than I get it right, you know. And I have to remind myself constantly about the growth that's required of me. You know, it's like. You, you, I'm like Stephen Furtick is one of the pastors that I think you and many people know that I love. He's got this awesome sermon where he talks about how, you know, you got to have a God or your gaps and you have a, you got to have a God ahead of you. You got to have a God that reminds you how far you have, you have to go. And you got to have a God that reminds you how far you've come. And so being in the middle of that is such an important place to be, but it's hard. And dude, I get it wrong all the time. And I don't mean to sit here and, and be some like Pollyannish, like, oh yeah, it's hard right now, but you just got to be optimistic. You know, you just got to be positive because I don't know that that's necessarily true. There yeah. are people that are dealing with things that I can't even imagine right now. There are people that are having a lot harder time <clears throat> with change than even I am. And I feel like I'm having a hard time with it in some areas. And so I do want to make sure that's stated. This isn't something that I'm great at. And this isn't the whole picture, but this has been my experience. So, so where do you think people can actually go wrong with that? Like how, I know it's a challenging place to be reminded of the past of all that God has been faithful um, and how he has shown up and, and thinking about the future. But you said, you know, you're still a work in progress, right? You're still working on this, but could you give us some insight into um, how challenging this is and where, it might've gotten wrong for you in the past. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and I've gotten this wrong several times. And one of the places I've gotten it wrong is by using the energies in front of and behind me that move me forward and remind me that I've moved forward. Sometimes you can use those as balancers to stand still. Like if you forget at all that you're in progress, if you forget at all that you are on a journey that doesn't necessarily have a destination that you even understand or can imagine, you actually will stand still. And you will use the experiences in front of you and behind you to balance you to the point where maybe you feel at peace. Maybe you're in a state of harmony, but you're not in a state of growth. And again, based on how I subscribe to wanting to realize myself and my faith, growth is so important because I'm climbing this mountain to get to God so that when I'm there, my heart is ready for what it is that I see. My heart is ready for the worship that is perpetual, that, you know, that, that is infinite from that point. And so for me, I think where I've gotten it wrong in the past is by using everything around me to balance me so much that it keeps me still. But I have to remember that those things around me are about moving myself forward. It's kind of mm -hmm. like it's kind of like a stabilizer, right? Like on an iPhone or on a camera. You know, it's like if you're filming something with a stabilizer, you can have it go in all sort of directions, but it keeps the frame intact and it's a smooth picture. Otherwise, if you don't have that, it's kind of flopping around and you're kind of getting all these jagged angles. And so you have to remember that you want it to be, you want a still and balanced frame, but you want a still and balanced frame within the context of heavy motion, because that means not only that you're in the right place, but you're moving forward. And that's so incredibly key to growth. Oh, wow. I love, I love that analogy of just <laughs> that stabilizer, right? Because there can be chaos. There can be a lot of movement, a lot of ways metaphorically in life. But if you have that stabilizer, your vision is very clear. It's very articulate. And you're, you're focusing on uh, the one or the truth or, or, and you're stabilized no matter how out of focus and out of um, sync the life around you might be. So that analogy is very, um, it hits home to me. So the, the second thing you talked about was chunking it down in little segments and, and, you know, being focusing on little victories along the way. And that builds momentum. Uh, can you say a little bit more about that, about, you know, um, how you are able to mentally chunk a big thing down into little segments for you? Yeah. So one of the things that this makes me think of is my dad's a big tennis fan. And I played tennis very competitively as a, as a child. 
And one of my heroes growing up was Arthur Ashe, who's a famous, you know, black tennis player. And one of Arthur Ashe's quotes, and I'm going to get this wrong, and I don't even know if it's properly attributed to him, but one of the things my dad used to say all the time is, you know, start where you are, like use what you have and do what you can, you know, and I find myself in situations where I'm constantly trying to apply that to what's in front of me. Because otherwise, it can be so easy to get overwhelmed. It can be so easy to see a big mountain and think I can't climb that. It can be so easy to hit a wall and think that I can't actually get through that. When really, sometimes if you take a step back, if you allow yourself to get to a patient place, you can realize that that scarecrow, you know, that's a straw man. That's actually not a person for you to be scared of. Like that wall actually doesn't run full east to west. You can walk around it. Like that mountain is actually not as tall as you think. And so I I don't think that, you know, like panic and stress are kind of like um, productive motivators, you know, when I'm in a situation where I'm challenged and especially as a leader, as somebody that's been required to lead people, as somebody that's been required to lead teams um, on a field of play, as an athlete, um, in a big, tall building, at a corporation, as an executive, you know, on stage as a musician or as a musical director, as a band leader, there are situations where I can't actually shut down or I can't actually stop because I need to give myself the momentum that other people need to draft off so that we can move forward. And so for me, I try to think through what are two things that keep me from being able to move forward quickly and immediately when I'm in some sort of state of challenge. And those are stress and those are panic. And how do I offset those for me? It's get myself to a place of comfort or get myself to a place where I at least have some familiarity, even if I'm finding by feel. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that this thing over here is this and this piece over here is this. And let's break this up. Like I think about like our old math teachers, you know, when you get a gnarly problem on the board, you didn't know how to solve. But the teachers there was to help you break it down into three things like this whole entire equation is really just, you know, four different modes of mathematics. It's addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And so all the fancy stuff you think is happening, remember, is built of atomic units that you understand really well to the point of mastery. And so I think for me, it's about applying that concept to my life. It's about applying that concept to my teams as well. And again, it's also about having faith. You know, like I I think about the situations when I've been in as a leader, I think about those situations as as me being called to lead in that situation. And so, you know, one of the things that I know and I've seen in the past as I analyze my own experience, as we just talked about, I know that God has given me what I've needed in each one of those situations to finish the race, whatever it may be. Because I just know that by definition, I'm inadequate. I don't have everything I need to succeed in this world. It all has to come from God. Every single thing I have comes from God. So why is he not going to give me the thing that he needs me to have to complete the thing that he's asked me to do? And that doesn't mean I always know where God wants me to go. Like, let's be clear about that because I get that wrong all the time. I mean, he'd tell you more than more than anyone, I'm sure. But um, it's just important for me to kind of give myself the reminder that God is going to complete me in that journey, that you know, there's another I, there's another awesome sermon by Mike Todd, who's that pastor that I talked about, where he gave this whole sermon. I think it was on Gideon, and he was he has a whole bit on go with the strength you have. You know, it's like, and then God will do the rest. And so I try to remind myself of that often: go with the strength you have. And for me, that looks like using what I have to understand as much of the problem as I can in front of me. And by the time I've broken it down to the pieces I can understand. By the time I have a full, you know, chest of air, because I know that God is with me. Like I said. If you break the problem into three parts, being your your mentality and what you can do, we're two thirds of the way there. And we just got to dry up this last piece. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Go with the strength that you have. And I think that phrase, when you're leading change in an organization, when you're leading people through a change, go with the strength you have. How how do you think that applies for somebody uh, within your organization, someone that you're mentoring, someone that you're leading? Um. How do you manifest that teaching into like a uh, like a teachable moment for someone who's going through and who's focusing on the stressors and the panic? Like, uh, how do you how do you navigate? How do you coach someone through that focusing on that phrase? I think for me, I think the way I've done it in the past and the way I'd encourage people to do it is is to use it as an opportunity to remind people of just how a team is made and how a team is built. Like if you think about any great team that's assembled, like this is also a lesson in diversity as well in terms of the power of diversity. There isn't one person on any of my teams ever that's had everything that they needed to do to be able to achieve every single thing that the team was supposed to. Everybody in some way, shape or form falls short. And it's not because they're inadequate. It's because they're tailor-made or purpose-built for a certain part of the problem that the team is trying to solve. 
And so I try to break it down for each individual, each individual, even myself. Like there are teams I've, I've been a, as a general manager before. I've had to lead engineers, you know, software engineers. I don't know a lot about software engineering. I've had to lead designers. And like I have a design and a writing background, but nowhere near as strong as a lot of the folks that have worked for me in the past and so on and so forth. There have been so many situations I've been in where I'm required to lead a large group of people that have technical skills infinitely beyond mine. But there's a role I play in terms of helping them understand the problems ahead of them so they can understand how they can break them down. That is so very key. And so I try to remind people that they play a role in a larger in a larger whole, right? That it really isn't just the sum of its parts and that they have a specific role to play. And that team can't move forward without them, you know, that they're required for that. And then I try to use my own personal experience as well. You know, hey, you think I know how to like coach these engineers? I don't know exactly what they do, but I do know that they're the best in the world at solving the problems they solve. And if I can sharpen this problem as much as possible for them, then it does a little bit of their job. It helps them do their job a little bit better than they did before. And so, again, I just try to go to the root cause. I try to go to the small piece or to that individual teammate, remind them that whatever is making them feel inadequate, whatever is making them fall short in so many ways is a part of the process. It's also a chance, too, to encourage people to ask for help. It's like I, I mentor a lot of folks and I talk to a lot of students, and I'm, I'm so very blessed by the opportunity to do that. It's like people think that me taking time to have a chat like this or taking time to hop on the phone is like this act of charity when it's really not. I get more from these conversations than, than, than I ever give. Um, and so folks will call all the time and, and students sometimes are, you know, like, so like, thank you so much for your help. Thank you so much for your help. And sometimes I tell them, I'm like, what makes you think you can do this without help? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not doing Sure. I guess it's nice for me to make some time, but you need help. Like help is required. Like yeah. we are incomplete in so many ways and we find completion in God, in our communities and the people around us. Like we weren't designed to live life alone. You weren't designed to be this one-stop shop. And so you have to be reminded that so much of that is part of the plan. And it's not what makes you inadequate. It's what makes you strong. And that reliance on others is what makes you a part of a bigger community, which again, gives you significance and feeds your identity in a totally different way. What do, you, what do you think gets in the way of people asking for help? Like, why is it so hard for some people? I think it's, I think it's pride. You know, I ask myself this, this question all the time. I think people are afraid. I think people are afraid to get things wrong. I think people are afraid to get things right, right? Like this was, you know, a, like a Doc Ellis-ism, you know, like the fear of winning is just as powerful as the fear of losing, you know, because of the pressure that, it, pressure that mounts and the consistency you have to subscribe to in order to still be thought about in that way. And so I think people can be insecure. I think people can be afraid of themselves, of, of, of each other. I think people can be afraid of what they're capable of. Because think about it. You know, it's like one of those, the more you know, the more you don't know things. Like the more you're capable of, the more is expected of you. You know, like the, the water line on your responsibilities goes up. And so there are a ton of different things that motivate this. And I'm guilty of all of them. All those things that I just riddled off, the reason I did it so quickly is because I'm subject and victim to each and every one of them. But I have to get out of my head and realize that I'm a part of something bigger and realize that I'm I am a part of a story um, that is just much larger than the one I want to tell myself. You know, like the world, the world is really good at being your biggest critic. It's really good at telling you what you're not good at. It's really good at telling you how far you have to go. Um, but we have to offset that by helping each other and reminding ourselves that. This is part of the process that this is so this is part of the plan in so many different ways. And so I think it's people's fear that gets in the way. But as they learn to chisel down and step over that fear, they start to realize how and where it can apply to other parts of their life, which ultimately empowers them all the more. Yeah. So kind of what I'm taking, I'm unpacking this. You're, you're sharing so much good wisdom right now. And just to summarize what I've heard so far, the first thing about leading change or going navigating the changes that you go through in your personal life and your professional life Um one is anchoring, like you got to anchor to that truth of yours, to quiet yourself, to reflect and be mindful of how you're navigating this change. So you have that clarity, you know, that stability, and uh, you're constantly growing and you see obstacles as opportunities. So it's not a challenge where it defeats you or it stresses you or panics you, but it's an opportunity for you to stretch your muscles, to grow, right. to lean into. So number one, anchoring. And then number two, you're talking about taking these large problems and breaking it down. And you use the analogy of a math teacher. I love that. Like these big problems on, on the uh, chalkboard and the math teacher just, just you know, gently coaching us of let's just take it into solvable pieces. Let's take it one chunk at a time. And uh, I think that's a huge 
attribute to the successes that you've had in your life. And then mm-hmm. third, I think you're mentioning how it's so important to humble ourselves and to reach out for help. You know, what, what makes us think that we can do this all alone? We're not designed for that. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to help each other out. But it really takes us kind of breaking down our own pride of, of knowing that it's okay to ask for help, no matter what level you are in, in your business or in an organization or even in life, what type of reputation you might have. Simon Sinek, a uh, you know, leadership guru, um, he, his recent book, The Infinite Game, he was interviewed by a reporter. And, they, and this reporter asked Simon Sinek, what's the greatest piece of advice that you'd probably give yourself, your younger self? And he says, don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. Like, I don't know why I felt like I always had to know all the answers. Like mm. he was running organizations and it's this vulnerability, you know, it's, it's you as a leader opening up and being vulnerable and saying, you know, it's okay to ask for help and you modeling that for other people. Then all of a sudden yeah. you're, you're creating this culture where people are in support of each other, that it's, it's perfectly okay to be imperfect. You know, it's, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to ask for help. And I think the stigma around counseling, the stigma around mental health and working on yourself, there's so much fear in what will people think of me? Will people view me as weak? Will people view me as not good enough if I share my inadequacies or my mistakes or that I need help? And I think we get that backwards. In hindsight, if I look back on my life, the times when I actually was vulnerable and reached out for help, those were magical moments where it actually um, didn't, the fear of, oh, people are going to think that I'm weak. But it's actually when you lean in and ask for help, they don't think that. And and Mm -hmm. it's it's just counterintuitive. But I love what you're hitting on too, because it's like modeling that, which I think is a great word for it, you know, can, can make that humility contagious. You know, it's like, you know, we, we, we talk sometimes uh, in the church, we talk oftentimes in the church. It's like, we don't, we don't worship because God requires worship. Like we worship God because of what it does to our heart. And Mm -hmm. I think there's something about, you know, you know, being humble enough to actually raise your hand about, you know, um, being confident enough to ask for help, you know, that reminds other people that they need it as well. And it puts people in an opportunity to help you, which ultimately gives them life and makes them feel more connected to you. And so it's not just about getting your question answered. It's about reposturing your heart and giving other people permission to do the same, which is really powerful. Yeah. So when now kind of shifting a little bit to more the professional sector and you're, you're, you leading teams, you leading people, um, how, you know, if, when you look back on your life and all the teams that you've been a part of, what do you think has been a theme that came up for you in terms of uh, leading change and helping people and helping organizations become more successful in team in terms of teaming? So what what are some of the ingredients and elements that have helped you create good teams or be a part of good teams? Yeah, I mean, I think one piece is it is that every team is different. And I've, I've learned this the hard way and I'm still learning this in so many slow ways. But I mean, teams are made up of people and people are incredibly complex. They come from different backgrounds, different environments. They're motivated by different things. And something I've learned over time, especially having had you know, the opportunity to, to work in a number of places and work on some pretty awesome teams, is that there is no such thing as like a template or a format or something that scales in the way that you lead. Because every single group of people, even if you're having a different team do the same work, is going to manifest in some way. There's going to be some complexity that comes to the service that you didn't anticipate. And so one thing that's been important for me to learn is that every single team that I lead or that I'm a part of is very different from the one before or the one after it. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It just requires you to show up in a very different way. And so that's one thing that I've had to learn. Like there've been a number of jobs I've taken in the past where I've I've had to bring the uh, the same discipline in. So for example, um, when I was at Airbnb, you know, I was the first product marketing person at Airbnb. Installing that discipline was a huge part of my charter, you know, in, in the earlier on days when I was there. And then when I went over to Sonos, you know, I led I, a couple of different variations of our product marketing teams. And I was in product marketing at Google. So was, those are three companies in a row where I did the same job, but they manifest so incredibly different. Um, I realized one thing that I learned earlier on, which is language that I use often, 
um, is to design a solution for the organization that feels native to the organization or to the brand. Because not everything from your past or not everything, honestly, from your future is going to apply in a way that's always as elegant as you think. And so that's been one thing that I'm continuing to remind myself, too, is every team is different. Every team works in a different way. And as a leader, you have to be sensitive to that. And you have to embrace and understand the differences and the unique strengths of the people on your team, because that ends up being your secret sauce. And so I try to, when I go into a new environment, to audit for what makes a team special and different, more so than what makes the team as good as I think they need to be, based on how I've defined good in the past. That's one thing that I that I'm constantly trying to remind myself of as a leader, um, because I've had some slow starts and some cold starts by not embracing that from day one in the past. So you focus on strengths. Uh, what naturally this culture, um, the strengths of an organization, the strengths of this team, the strengths of the people, and you highlight those rather than trying to fix what's wrong. So it's almost this different approach of this positive psychology type of thing of really focusing in and honing on people's strengths. Yeah. And also I think too, people's perceived weaknesses are oftentimes their actual strengths, right? It's like what makes one team difficult can actually make another team, you know, infinitely more powerful. You know, Mm -hmm. so I I give an example, like there've been times where there've been times where even like, I'll give an example, even from Sonos, like, like Sonos has a very literalist culture. People are very intelligent, um, People are very scientific. People are very technical. And so there can sometimes be this literal response to so many things. Like even if you take an abstract idea, it could be harder for the organization to understand it. But at the same time, what you perceive as being like, oh, man, I actually can't think in as fluid of a way as I could maybe in Silicon Valley. But at the same time, you start to realize that part of the reason those teams were like that is because their attention to detail is second to none. And so you're like, hmm, maybe we actually have to introduce concepts in a different way. And maybe we'll actually make more progress on certain challenges here because we have a team that's more attuned to the nuance. It's more attuned to the details or the specific challenges with the problem. Let's embrace that. And so it's not just the obvious strengths. I think it's also taking what you perceive as being a shortcoming of a certain team, taking a step back, trying to think about it in a different way and see if that can't actually be what the most powerful part of that team is. And so I think definitely look for your strengths, but they will come from places you may not always think to look. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about your life and how you navigated. Uh, and there's so many strengths. There's so many things that we can learn from. And if you, um, Steve Jobs once said, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. Mm. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And as you kind of uh, reminisce and reflect back, you've you've transitioned out of some global companies and some cushy positions and jobs and. And I know several people that um, are personal friends and people that I am coaching through, they're, they're going through major changes. And there's a lot of fear around leaving stability, leaving comfort, leaving uh, something that they are used to, something familiar to uh, an unknown embarking on this venture that, that you know we don't know what the future may entail. Mm-hmm. As you look back, how have you been courageous enough to um, transition out of those really comfortable positions or, or, you know, how, how have you transitioned out of that? It's, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's a, it's a good question. You know, a lot of times people look at my background and they ask about the circuitous path that I took, you know, to get to certain places. And to be totally honest, like I'm not anywhere near as ambitious or as hungry for leadership as people think. You know, like I I remember I first started managing people. I didn't even really want to. This was some years ago. I think I was at Google when I got my first couple reports and I didn't I was good at the job, which is why they gave me people. It wasn't because I was like, I want to manage people because I am I'm a leader. I'm a natural born leader, you know, and like so I say that in terms of how I've actually grown in companies. It hasn't been something that I've done intentionally. It's come from me actually focusing on something totally different, which is the work. And I think when I've actually moved on from one company to another, it's not because I'm trying to add something to my background that I didn't have before, or it's not because I was tired of that one place and I needed to run from it so that I could run to something else. It's because I've trusted that I've been needed or called someplace else. You know, like I don't want to suggest, you know, I think sometimes I've had a bit of my work here is done mentality. And it's not because like I'm finished or I'm complete. It's just because I'm feeling called or feeling pushed elsewhere. You know, it's like one of the principles I try to build my life on. And I'm not even really sure where I heard this from or where I got this from. It's just, you know, in terms of my relationship with God being anchored on what he is, what it is that he has for my life. 
I'll go where I'm sent and I'll go when I'm sent for. Um, and I think there's been energy that's pulled me out of certain companies, out of certain places and sent me someplace else, sometimes, especially against my will, mm -hmm. sometimes in ways that I really don't understand. But again, another image that always pops up in my head is that picture, that cartoon. I'm sure you've seen it before with a little girl. She's standing in front of Jesus and they're in these like kind of corny caricature, you know, line drawings. But I think the concept is powerful. There's a little girl. She's crying her eyes out and there's Jesus. And he has her little bear in her hand that he took from her. But he's got this bear behind his back that's like 10 times the size. Yeah. And it's just about like, what are you holding on to, you know, that's actually keeping you from something bigger? And so for me, I try to keep open eyes. I try to keep open ears. I try to keep an open mind and an open heart for where I think God may want me to be based on what I think he has called me to do in life. And um, that has put me in some different rooms that has opened and created some opportunities that I couldn't have created for myself. And so for me, again, it comes back to faith. And I don't always mean to harp on that, but it is, you know, so core to my identity. You know, I strongly believe and strongly want to build my life, you know, on God's principles and God's hope for me. Like we couldn't have told you we'd ever would have been in Santa Barbara, man. I mean, I think it seems like yesterday you and I were just on the steps at Cornerstone, yeah. you know, in the mission. 17th of Guerrero, wherever it was, just like after <laughs> yeah. church, just like hanging out, like praying, talking together. But here I am, you know, by some random string of events. And so I try not to take those things as accidental. I try to just listen and look wherever I can and see if I can find one of God's footsteps or one of his fingerprints to kind of take me into that next season. And so for me, I think it's always been about, again, anchoring myself in something that's bigger than me trying to understand where that thing would lead me and trying to let go of everything I can and attach myself to that purpose, even if it takes me away from something sooner than I want, even if it takes me to a place that's different than I thought I would be. Again, it's about that obedience and that response to the calling that is on my life that guides me and leads me forward. And again, not everybody has that. It's going to be a different thing for everyone. Maybe somebody wants yeah. to move on to get another set of skills. But I think for me, it's always been about following my, my North Star um, which is being and being present where I think God wants me to be. And hopefully I've gotten that right in a few different parts in life. I'm sure I haven't in some areas, but this next adventure I'm in now and the adventure I go to after that, Lord willing or not, whatever it may be, um, I want it to be because I was sent and I want it to be when I was sent for. Nice, nice. Um, I, I just want to make a quick shout to the Cornerstone family. Uh, that's that's where you and I met. That's, you know, Rick, Rick Navarte. And, yeah, and, and Big Rick. Just, Vinny just did a, uh, a a sermon, you know. I don't know if you caught that, but that was uh, it was yet. very powerful. I have a long drive well, coming up. It's like the top. It's like my top podcast. Nice, my top listen for my next drive. Yeah, uh, Alan. So you know what I've been noticing with uh, extremely high performers like yourself, and and it's not um, the achievements and the success and and the transitions that you've been able to navigate. What I've been noticing, I, I've been kind of noticing a theme with high performers, whether you're in sports, whether you're in business, um, in life, that these high performers have all, they're all mission focused. They, they all have a philosophy of practice and uh, they're guided by those principles and that philosophy of practice. So um, it's that infinite game that you're playing. It's, it's not a finite game where there's a destination and that you're shooting for something to accomplish. Mm. Uh, but it's more of this focus on being and becoming. Like, I want to be anchored. I, I, and you said my life's goal is to get closer and closer to God, to understand Him, and to walk with Him. And the closer I am to Him, the more anchored I feel. Mm. And I can navigate through any changes and transitions in life that are, that are thrown at me and my family. As long as I'm close and walking with God, that's my ultimate goal. That's my mission. Yeah. And Great. it's Great. it's yeah, this right. it's this focus on being and what happens naturally by you developing yourself and this being and focusing on becoming who you want to be, the doing and the achievements and the haves and the titles, all that comes as a byproduct. Mm -hmm. It just naturally comes with you just focusing on becoming and being who you want to be first mm -hmm. and foremost, this philosophy. And that being established as the root of what you focus on, no matter what position in life that you are in, then the the haves, the titles, the accolades, all that come as a byproduct, but that doesn't distract you as well. Mm -hmm. Because that's just that's not that's secondary, right? That 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 comes with the territory, but that's not what you're shooting for. And I think 
what happens with people who are wanting success so badly, who want to be rich, who want to be famous, who want to, you know, have the chief of staff at Sonos title, you know, or who want to be a board of directors at, at Santa Barbara Symphony, like who want to have an album, like you focus so much on doing like I needed, okay, I need to do what Alan's doing. I, I need to, um, I need to internet, you know, and, and work at Goldman Sachs. And then maybe I need to write an album. I need to, I need to start creating songs and, oh, I need to go to Google. That's how we got to this place. And when you focus on doing rather than being, mm. then you get it all backwards. And then all of a sudden you get lost mm. along the way. And the changes that come out of our lives, they um, create detours and they get us off path. And we forget our North Star. We're not stabilized. And we're in that panic state. We're in that stressful state. And what I appreciate about how you and Carly have lived your life and how you kind of uh, approach change is this focus on, okay, who, who do I want to be in face of this change? Who does God want me to be? Mm. And it's not that you, ch- you, you went from Google to Airbnb to all these different startups and grown these companies and then Sonos. And now you're, you're doing embarking on a new venture. It's not like you're, you're hungered for the titles and ambitious for the business accolades and being featured on Forbes. Like all that is a byproduct of you having this philosophy of being anchored to God and doing what God wants for you to do. And Amen. Man, and that's so powerful for me because that's what I that's what I strive to do. And and oftentimes I fall short of that. Like I, I really struggle. Me too. With we all fall that, short, dude. Man, that balance is so hard for me. It is like sometimes it's so hard for me to let go when I know that God is calling me out where my time here is done or or God's calling me to a new venture and there's a lot of fear because it lets it's required for you to let go of what's familiar, what's comfortable. And then you start to rationalize, well, I can't let go of this because, you know, my wife and my child depend on it. Or what does that mean? And then all this, what if games start to play, we start to create these narratives and those narratives are driven by the fear uh, that, and, and so fear and faith are kind of, uh, in that seesaw balance. So the more fear we have in our life, the less faith we have in our life. The more mm-hmm. faith we have in our life, the less fear we have in our life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's being able to increase that faith, but it, man, it's it's hard. Like you said, it's it's not easy. Yeah, and I, I love how you said that too, man. There's another sermon that I was listening to recently, an Elevation, you know, Stephen Furtick's sermon where he was talking about, he has got this amazing sermon called Flex Space, which you guys should listen to if you, if you haven't already. But he talks about, you know, like imagine like your life as, you know, one large piece of real estate. And, you know, there's this concept of real estate of flex space or extra space. And the whole entire sermon is about any space you don't give to God belongs to someone else, you know. And I love your analogy that you give about, you know, when fear is up, faith slow and vice versa. It's not always a zero sum game, but there are times where if you haven't actually focused all your energy in one direction, some of it is going to be pointed in another direction. And that could be counterintuitive. That could be counter-momentous to what it is that you're actually trying to do. And it's so very important to remember that. And we will fall short on it, too, all the time, right? It's like I think about C.S. Lewis. I think about the Screwtape Letters, um, which is this book where he, based on biblical principles, has taken these fictional characters who are demons, and they're talking about how they're torturing humanity. And there's one piece of it that's always stood out to me, which is like, you know, the demons are talking to each other, and they were like, yes, man is going to fall. Like he's, he'll fall on his own, you know, whether we trip him or not. Our goal is to keep him down because it's when he gets back up that we lose him. And so there's just so something so important to realize, too, that like we all fall short of the glory of God. You know, it's by definition that way. But because of how we've been redeemed in Christ, because God's there to pick us back up, like the most powerful thing you can do is realize that you can get up when you fall more so than the fact that you're capable of falling in the first place. And I have to remind myself of that too, man. So don't beat yourself up. It's a really difficult balance and it fluctuates every single day, but it's a part of this grand journey. And I think it's ultimately a part of what brings us close and what binds us to God in some unique ways. And so I'm grateful for it nonetheless. Yeah. So as I'm reflecting and kind of wanting to summarize the conversation, um, I'm, I'm pulling on a lot of different things that I'm being influenced by just, just from talking to you and, you know, and, and I'm going to recap at the end, but I, I just want to, what has been something that you've been 
um, working on these days? Like what, what is, what is something that you've been thinking a lot about? Um, you're in the middle of this constant change and change is coming and the unknown is about to approach very, it's knocking at the door of uh, a new chapter of your life, both personally of being a father uh, and, and professionally, uh, you know, embarking on this new transition, but what's been something that has been surfacing for you that you've been kind of working through, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that is, is, is top of mind for me is just this concept. And, you know, I think it, it's part of the exchanges in the Bible where the Gospels are, are talking about John the Baptist, um, where John the Baptist is talking about, you know, I must decrease, he must increase, he being Jesus in this case. And I think I'm in a season right now where I'm trying to figure out what does that really mean? And how does that apply to me right now? Like, what does it look like, God? What does it look like, Lord, for me to decrease so that you could increase? And I'm trying to see where that manifests in my life. And it's manifesting in a couple of different ways. It's like, I'm going in my new role, you know, it's a hybrid role where I'm thinking through, you know, high corporate finance, but I'm also thinking through, you know, high strategic creative. And those are two different disciplines that are at odds with each other, but two disciplines that I have unique experience in both. Just trying to remind myself that, you know, I can do this, that I know exactly what to do, that I know exactly where to go. And I'm in a season, season of my career where I'm a builder. We're building businesses. We're building organizations. You know, we're creating value. And sometimes it can be easy for me to get in my head when you're in any sort of, you know, where you're forging any sort of path where you're just like, man, do I really know how to do this? And you're like, I must decrease. God must increase because mm -hmm. I'll go with the strength I have. He'll finish the race. The same thing. And even serving my wife right now, you know, it's like, you know, Carly is a pregnant woman. Of course, like she has, she has the real challenge in, in the miracle that is childbirth, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I don't have to, like I this really isn't my journey or my experience at all based on what she's going through. But there's so many times where I have to remind myself to like serve her like I'm serving Jesus. You know, there are times where I'm like annoyed, you know, because I have to go do this thing or I have to like reach the remote for her or she's constantly grabbing my shoulder to like push herself up, you know, because she's got this baby in her belly. And sometimes it can be, it, sometimes you can kind of like selfishly feel like annoyed, but then I'm reminded like serve her the way that I would serve God, like love her the way that I would love God. I must decrease. Yeah. He must increase. So how does, in terms of my professional confidence, how does my patience in personal relationships um, maturing is another thing that's important for me as well. It's like, Hey God, how can you mature me in the way I think about discipline and routine in the way I think about purity in the way I think about relationships and the way I think about serving you know, I'm in a season two where I'm trying to say as yes, as, as much as I can to helping anyone with anything I can be of help with, not because I want to overschedule myself, but because it helps me feel closer to God. It helps sharpen and mature me. It helps me feel small so that he can feel big, because ultimately, the closer I can get to him, the more successful I'll be at every single thing that matters in my life. And so that's one thing that's top of mind for me right now. What does it look like in this season for me to decrease, for God to increase on every single vector, relationships, work, creativity, and music? I mean, there are even things that I'm trying to do musically and creatively that are pushing me and challenging me, but that are still so important. How do I work God into my music? How do mm -hmm. I take a gift that I have that I think comes from him and channel that in a way that brings me closer to him? Like, I know I'm walking into a really serious season on multiple fronts, and I know that there is no way I can prepare myself from an earthly sense, but I do know and I do feel like I'm being sent into this and being sent for now, and that I have to find a way to make myself small, make God big, because if I look at my own history, that's the only thing that's got me to the next step successfully, at least per my definition. Yeah. And I, and I love, it's, it's again, going back to that philosophy of life, philosophy of practice that guides you, the, the focus on being and then the doing and having just come as a byproduct of that. And you don't even focus on that. So I, I love how you have these mottos for yourself. You know, like, you know, I must decrease so, and he must increase. And that navigates everything that you do in your life, business, running organizations, um, your home, your relationship with Carly, your relationship as a son, your relationship as a new father. It's like this, these mottos that you create for each season of your life really navigate you. They, they guide you. And I think that's such a beautiful, uh, a beautiful takeaway. So yeah. I, I, I want to kind of summarize what, what I've heard so far and what I've been influenced by from your story. 
It's a reminder that oftentimes when storms happen, that this too shall pass. But in the midst of the storm, we have to anchor. Anchor to the principles and the truths of our lives that calm us, that that give us peace. And for you and I both, uh, it's God, it's Jesus. It's the truth that mm. we hold on to. Uh, and that whole philosophy of, of I must decrease and he must increase. So you anchor into that principle. And that helps you navigate the storms of life. Mm. And then you talked about chunking, uh, the importance of segmenting the, the big lofty goals so you don't get panicked or stressed out. And you really just chunk them into the small victories, focusing on those things and um, doing you, you, you know, your discipline and your diligence to accomplish those things so you can gain the momentum, you can gain the confidence, and you're reminded of all the successes of, of how God has followed through. And then you talked about the importance of reaching out and asking for help. And the humility of a leader is contagious, and it creates this culture uh, that is, you know, um, we're in community. I don't know everything, and I'm the leader, and that's okay. Like, you guys are, the reason why you're, you're here is because you're incredible and you focus on the strengths and you shower them and you really hone in on what people are good at. That's what caused a lot of uh, successes in teaming for you. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we talked about uh, this whole, you know, uh, I, I love where you're going with you talking about uh, anchoring yourself to God and these mottos that you come up with, up with, with each season of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I, I I'm just I'm I'm lost for words because I'm I'm inspired. Every, everything you you do, and you have this creative outlet of music, and I, I want people to know that on top of you having all these successful business ventures, you going into this new you know being a managing partner at Collab, you're also a recording artist, and I'm I'm wondering Barely. what what are your hopes and dreams for your music career. Um, and how have you in- incorporated that into your life? That's a good, that's a great question. I mean, I think for me, being an artist is just, uh, is a part of being alive, you know, like, you know, I think I, it's, it's such a gift to be able to create. It's such a gift to be able to make something out of nothing. It's a gift to be able to connect to God, to do something that I don't really even understand how I do in the first place. And so I think for me, my ambitions, you know, as a musician are just to continue to create, continue to share music that resonates with someone, you know, continue to share music that allows me to use my gift, which makes me feel closer to God. And so I was, I was, you know, kind of born this way. It's like so often, especially in, in creative fields and in marketing fields, there's so much hierarchy based on how, based on people's projections about your proximity to what they would define as creativity, right? Like is the word creative in your title or are you responsible for output that someone would call remotely creative? And honestly, like it's totally backwards because it's just like, I'm, I am creative because I was born this way. Like if there's breath in my lungs, like I will make music, I will create because I was designed to do this and to not let an energy pass through me that was put in me would be to betray part of my creation. Right. It's like, there's another pastor Stephen Furtick thing where he talks about, you, you know, you insult the product, you insult the maker, you know, and to not use every single thing that I have and bring my whole self to life every day is an insult, you know, to the God that made me and is continuing to refine me, right? And I think about this in such different ways now, too, especially with Carly being pregnant, right? It's like there's this, I have a son who is on the way, who is being crafted and designed in the womb, and he will have a calling over his life. And even once he's in the wild, God will continue to shape and refine him as he did before he was even an idea. And like, I have to apply that to my life, too, because I'm just like, well, who's to say that, you know, 30 plus years past that point? I'm not continuing to be refined and developed and shaped. And my being an artist is a big part of that. And it's not for everybody, right? But for me, it is. And so I don't really have a lot of extreme or crazy ambitions. Like it would be awesome at some point to be able to do music on a full-time basis. It'd be awesome to have more time to do it, but that's not why I'm in it, you know? And I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful to have a relationship with my craft that isn't exceedingly commercial, at least right now. Like I can create at will how I want, when I want. I can create opportunities for people to bring energies and thoughts and ideas together. And that's such a beautiful thing in itself. And it's so raw. And so for me, I just want to continue to take advantage of the blessing and the opportunities I have to create 
Um, I don't have an option otherwise, but I'm, I'm grateful that it has been so fluid and that I have been so creatively available for it. Yeah. How, how do people listen to your music? How do, how do people get introduced to it? Oh, you're the best. I appreciate the chance to plug. So, I mean, you can find my music pretty much anywhere, any major streaming service, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music, YouTube. And so wherever you stream music, there should be there should be something that I can bother you with, at least for my catalog. And I got a whole bunch of new stuff coming too, and including stuff featuring Matt Park. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite musicians of all time. So. Oh my goodness, uh, Alan! So uh, thank you, and, and it's called Feast, right? Is that Feast, the name yeah. of you? Okay. Feast is it was my third full length album. It came out January first, two thousand twenty. Um, it was a, a record that you know set the stage, at least for me personally, for a pretty insane yeah. year that this that this is yeah. and has been. And I have a number of songs that have come out since then. I have a number that are coming out later this year. But Feast is an album um, that I spent about ten years making. And it was a creative exercise for me. And one thing that I realized, too, is there's so many parallels from different elements or different aspects of leadership. Like I think about walking into the studio to make a record the same way as I think about walking into the boardroom to make a decision. It's just a different type of problem in a different context with different people. And so, again, it's getting that experience of breaking big, challenging things into small pieces. And the more you get used to doing that, you can kind of do it with anything. And so yeah. people can check out my music wherever I stream, but just know, too, that part of the creative exercise is about sharpening myself on the other side of the table and vice versa when I'm in the corporate workplace. And so it's a blessing to get a chance to still do it. I love it. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, time is so valuable to me. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate you. I appreciate Carly. I appreciate your friendship to us. Um, and what you're doing for this community. So I just want to get a chance to plug plug you and Carly in and say awesome. thank you. Thanks, Helen. Appreciate Love you, you man. Yep. Love God you bless too. you, bro. God bless. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Mastering Mindset Podcast with Dr. Matt. Mastering Mindset is a training platform where we continue to train individuals and teams on how to master their thoughts, their emotions, and their behaviors in life so that they can ultimately master their performance. Stay tuned for more.